All right, well, good morning. All right, one of you is awake. Good morning. All right, that's a little bit better. Thanks, Jeff, uh, for responding this morning. Uh, I always count on my brother down here. I don't know about you guys, but it's been quite a week uh, for the Devers family this week. Um, Shannon and I, my wife and I, we got to share in a first-time experience together on Friday. We actually got to take our oldest son to college on Friday. And for those of you who um, are sitting there thinking right now, like, they don't look like they're old enough to have kids in college. Like, I know you're thinking that about me, right? Um, The reality is my wife doesn't look like she should have a child in college. She looks like she should still be in college. Matter of fact, this morning, I think uh, somebody looked in the college class and said, yeah, there's five students there. There are actually four and my wife this morning in the college class. And so she made up the fifth this morning. So those of you guys that have never had the experience of taking your child to college, I just want to tell you, that's a pretty surreal feeling. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel about the whole thing. So I'm not quite sure yet how I feel about that. But I can tell you this morning how Bailey felt about it. You see, Bailey, my oldest, he was a nervous wreck all week long. I mean, if he knew I was talking about him this morning, he'd kill me. But guess what? He's not here. He's in college. And so uh, there's not a whole lot he can do about it from there right now. And you're not going to tell him, right? So Bailey was a nervous wreck all week long. If you think about like He graduates from high school all summer long. He's been super excited about this great new world that he's about to enter into called college. But as the summer progressed and the closer he got to entering into that great new world, uh, the more intimidated, the more nervous he became. I mean, he probably began thinking about things like, I've never had to live with a total stranger before. Things like, man, I've never been out on my own before. I'm about to be in classes and study groups and social gatherings with people that I have never met, and I'm about to be in a city that's really bigger than anything I've experienced before. I mean, we lived in Fort Worth before, but he was really too small to remember that. I'm sure Bailey thought about all these things, and the more he thought about these things, the more nervous he became. I'm pretty sure he even became a little bit scared, even though, like we knew, and, and he knew, that he was right where God wanted him to be. We knew without a doubt that where he is in college is right where God wants him to be. Now, all of us have experienced something similar to this. We've all been excited about something that was kind of off in the future, and the closer we've gotten to that something, the more nervous we've become. Like for many of you, you've experienced this on your wedding day, right? You experienced it at the birth of your first child. Some of you, it was that first practice with a new team that had several guys that you never met before or didn't really know or hadn't spent time with them. And some of you, it was at the audition for the school play. We all know what it feels like to be excited about something that's off in the future and yet allow the anxiety and fear to get the best of us the closer we get to that. The crazy thing about it is this, that we can know we are exactly where God wants us to be. And we can still allow fear and anxiety to get the best of us. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know Pastor Kay two weeks ago um, had to start a new series. It's kind of a two-part series. The first part of this series has been entitled No More Excuses. And in this part of this series, we've been looking at some of the negative tendencies that we have as Christ followers. Today we're going to be looking at the children of Israel. We're going to be looking at their tendency to live their life in fear of the things that they saw instead of living their life by faith in God. So today, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be, first of all, the first verse we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. 
Because in this verse, it reminds us that we should live by faith and not by sight. You see, if we want to learn to be Christ's followers, then we've got to learn to live by faith and not by sight. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to be careful to live by faith. He knew that we would have the tendency to live by what we saw instead of living by faith. So our goal today will be the same as it has been each week during this series. Today we want to take inventory of our own lives, and we want to see if we have this negative tendency there. If we see this tendency, then we don't want to make excuses for it. We simply want to start taking actions to remove this tendency so we can follow Jesus more fully. In your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to begin this morning in the book of Exodus. We're actually going to begin there. We're going to work our way up to the book of Numbers. And the reason we're going to try to take this journey this morning is because in order for us to see the tendency for the Israelites to live by sight and not by faith, we need to watch some of their journey at least from slavery in Egypt all the way up to this land God had promised to give them. As we trace their journey, we're also going to see God show up and show out uh, for His glory and the greater good of others this morning. So to begin with on this journey, God shows up and shows out uh, with Pharaoh. If you were here last week, we talked about Moses and, and he, God, how God used him to, get the, um, to help set the Israelites free from slavery. And the way God does that is He shows up and He shows out. He, he causes these ten plagues to come against the Egyptians. And here's a list of the ten plagues. He turned water into blood. Frogs filled the land. Gnats were everywhere. Now, how many of you guys have been below the gnat line? Right? You've been to South Georgia. You know what that's like. Well, this is like South Georgia on steroids. It was not like that. It was on steroids. Tons of gnats everywhere. And then flies began to fill the land. All the Egyptian livestock dies. Bulls came upon every Egyptian man and beast. And then there was a hell storm like no other storm they had experienced before. Locusts came in and ate the plants that were left from the storm. Darkness came across the land. And we're not talking about solar eclipse darkness. We're talking total darkness. Like not being able to see your hand in front of your face darkness. And then the tenth and final plague was that every firstborn died. Now after these plagues, after the final one, Pharaoh decided to let the children of Israel go. What I want you to remember from this part is that not only did God show up and show out in a big way to make his power known among the children of the people of Egypt, but the children of Israel were there. Like they witnessed every bit of this. They saw it with their own eyes. After they got through experiencing this, they set up all these reminders, celebrations, feasts, and festivals to help remind them of what God had done. And one of these reminders was the Passover celebration. Look with me in the Bible, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 40 through 42. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. It's 430 years in slavery. And at the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all of the host of the Lord, all the children of Israel, went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Now even to this very day, Israelites celebrate the Passover as a reminder of how God watched over them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In Exodus 13, we see more reminders being set up. The first one is that every firstborn was to be committed back 
to the Lord. This meant every firstborn animal was to be committed back to the Lord. Every firstborn son was to be committed back to the Lord and committed to the Lord's service. Why? Because they needed these ongoing and regular reminders of how all the things that God had done of how He had shown up and showed out for His glory to deliver them out of Egypt. And not just for them to remember. you got to catch this. This is also to give them opportunities to share what all this was about, to tell their children about how God had shown up. Exodus 13, verse 14. And when in time to come, your son asks. And so later on in life, when your children begin to ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So it wasn't just for them to remember, it was for them to have the opportunity to share these stories with their children, their children's children. They went on to set up the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the very same reason. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was an annual celebration that would become an annual reminder for them of how God brought them out of Egypt. And it would become an annual opportunity for them to share these stories with their children and their children's children. So they set up all these reminders, these celebrations, these feasts, these festivals, and then they leave Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, they continue to see the Lord show up and show out. To begin with, as soon as their journey begins out of Egypt, the Scriptures tell us that God's presence was literally seen by them, physically, as they went out of Egypt, as God led them out of Egypt. God was there in the daytime as a cloud to lead them during the day. At night, he was like a pillar of fire to lead them by night. Again, this was God showing up and showing out for his glory and their greater good to encourage them in their faith as he led them along the way. And then the children of Israel arrived at the Red Sea. Now, by this time, God had gone back and he had hardened Pharaoh's heart once again. And Pharaoh decides that he's going to go out and he's going to pursue the children of Israel. And God even tells Moses why he hardened Pharaoh's heart. God says in Exodus 14, verse 4, And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and and the Egyptians, all of the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. What I want you to see here is that God said he was hardening Pharaoh's heart for his glory and for all the people to know that he alone is God. So now the Egyptians would know that he alone is God. See, there's no no greater thing to know in this world than to know that God, to know God Himself, to have a right relationship with God. So there's no greater good in this world than to know God and have that right relationship with Him by His grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. There are Egyptians in the world today who have that right relationship with Almighty God by His grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason they have that right relationship with God today is because God showed up and showed out for His glory and their greater good. Had God never shown up, they may have never known. But God did show up, and they know. Pharaoh and his army came to attack the children of Israel at the Red Sea. The children of Israel are scared. They're in a panic. And then Moses says these encouraging words to them, verses 13 through 14, Exodus chapter 14. Moses says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. In one of my all-time favorite verses, verse 14, it says, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I think it's the NIV that says, you, shall only be, you just need only to be still. So the Lord will fight for you, you just need to be still. 
God had Moses lift up his staff and had him take his hand and put it out over the sea, and the sea parted, it divided. And the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. It's important that we hear that. They walked through on dry ground. But when Pharaoh and his army went in to pursue them, they have a much different experience. Exodus 14, 24-25. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavy. Now, if you guys as a kid ever drove your bike through a, a mud puddle, or if you've ever been in your four-wheel drive and you went mudding and some of you guys have been crazy enough to take your little two-wheel drive car and go mudding, then you know exactly what's happening here. Like the children of Israel just walked through on dry ground. Pharaoh and his army are coming in immediately after them to pursue them, and it's muddy now. It's no longer dry ground because God's not fighting for the Pharaoh and his army. He's fighting for his people. And the Egyptians realize this. It continues, it says, The Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord, Yahweh, is fighting for them. They knew exactly what was going on. So the Egyptians, now they're in panic. The children of Israel have walked through. They've reached the other side safely. God has Moses stretch out his hands back over the water. The waters come crashing back together like a tidal wave, flooding over the Egyptians, and it kills them all. Look at verses 30 through 31. It says, and so the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And once again, this is God showing up and showing out for his glory and the greater good of his people. And again, the children of Israel saw all of this happen right before their very eyes. And every time they would see God show up and show out for His glory and their greater good, their faith would be encouraged. Their their faith would be strengthened. In Exodus chapter 15, the children of Israel, they begin to celebrate this great victory. Moses and Miriam, both of them, sing a song of celebration. These songs are written down, and no doubt the children of Israel over their history have gone back and sung these songs as a reminder of how God showed up and delivered them at the Red Sea. I want you to hear some of the words from Moses' song, Exodus 15, 1 through 3. Moses sings, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Some of your translations say the Lord is a warrior. The Lord Yahweh is his name. Now, I love putting Exodus 14, 14 and, and Exodus 15, 3 together. See, 14, 14 was before God showed up and delivered them at the Red Sea. And 15, 3 is after the fact. And so when you look at these two together, this is what you get. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Just be still. Relax. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. You see, Yahweh, God, he is the God who will and who has always shown up and shown out to fight for His glory and for His people. See, as His people, we just need to learn to be still. We need to learn to relax, to chill out, to trust God, to walk by faith and not by sight. He's going to show up. He will fight for His glory, and He will fight for His people. We just need to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, between the Red Sea and the Promised Land, a lot takes 
a lot takes place. But as these things take place, the children of Israel continue to fall back into their tendency to live life in fear of the things they saw instead of living by faith in God. I want to share with you just a quick overview of some of the things that took place. They leave the Red Sea, and for three days they're journeying and have no water. They begin to grumble and complain because when they found water, it was bitter. And so God had Moses throw a log into the water, and it became sweet. They continue their journey. Eventually, they run out of food. Again, the children of Israel complains, and once again, God shows up and shows out. He provides what the Bible calls manna from heaven. These were little small, light, flaky pieces of bread that were delicious. God provided these for over 40 years for the children of Israel. A little while later, they ran out of water again. Again, the people complained. Surprise? Again, God shows up, and he has Moses take his staff. He hits a rock, and water begins to pour out. Along the way, an enemy comes up and attacks the children of Israel. Miraculously, God delivers them from this enemy. And then they show up at Mount Sinai. Now, they stay at Mount Sinai for a very long time, and a lot takes place at Mount Sinai. This is where uh, God gives them the Ten Commandments and other various laws. This is where God makes His covenant with the children of Israel and even renews that covenant with the children of Israel. At Mount Sinai, they received instructions for and even took time to build the tabernacle for the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, garments for the priest, and other sacred artifacts. All of these things were committed to God. And every single one of these were to be used as a reminder of who God was and all that He could do, down to the very smallest detail in even building these things and constructing these things were to be a reminder of who God was. There's many examples at Mount Sinai of God showing up and showing out for His glory. I don't have time to cover all of them, but I want to read a few verses from this experience to kind of help us see and and see what the children of Israel not only saw, but what they experienced at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. It says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in a thunder. You see, at Mount Sinai, God showed up in great power. It was such a powerful display of His glory that when they saw it, they they trembled. They didn't just see it, they smelled it, they heard it, they felt it. And it scared them to death. And yet they still had the tendency beyond this to continue living in fear of all the other things they saw instead of walking by faith in God. And we get to Numbers chapter 13, so we're out of the book of Exodus. Sorry, I told you we're going to kind of do a flyby. So we're jumping from where we were in Exodus. Now we're in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. The children of Israel had left Mount Sinai and arrived at the edge of the promised land. This is the land God has been telling them all along that He was going to give them. And God says, listen, I want you to send spies into the land because they're going to see that it is exactly what I told you it was be. It's a plentiful land flowing with milk and honey. And so the spies go in, and we even see in verse 23 that they find a single cluster of grapes that were so large it had to be carried on a pole between two grown men. 
Numbers 13, verses 25 through 27. And at the end of 40 days, the spies returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruits. I mean, this is an exciting time for the children of Israel. They have been wandering for a very long time on this journey to get to the land God promised was theirs. And now they're there. And even though they see that it is exactly how God told them it was going to be, and they know they are exactly where God wanted them to be, even though they knew these things, they still had the tendency to be afraid from all the things they were beginning to see. The spies continue their report, verses 28 through 29. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. See, the spies went in and they saw the land was exactly what God told them it would be. But they also saw other things. They saw men who were strong. They saw huge cities that were like fortresses, built like fortresses. And they even saw giants in the land. And ten of these twelve spies became afraid from the things that they saw. These ten spies became what I like to call negative Nathans. Like they started becoming negatives, pointing out all the negative things and spreading their fear among... No offense, Nate Shaw, sorry. You got you. All right, we're good. All right. They began to, these negative Nathans began to spread their fear among the entire camp. Verse 30, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. See, Caleb's being the encourager. He's like, God's brought us here. This is right where we're supposed to be. Let's not be afraid. Don't listen to the negative Nathans. Let's go after it. But again, the negative Nathans continue to spread uh, their fear among the children of Israel, and the majority of the people of Israel fed on that fear. Joshua and Caleb spoke up, and they began to encourage the people to walk by faith and not by sight. Numbers 14, 6-10, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said, hey, let's go, let's get after it. No. All the congregation said to stone them with stones, but... The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. See, what I want us to see this morning is this, that all throughout their journey from slavery to the promised land, God continually showed up and showed out for His glory and the greater good of, of His people. Over and over again, they got to see God show up in great power, and yet they still over and over again, had this tendency to live in fear because of the things they saw instead of living by faith in God. This 
tendency kept them from being able to enter the promised land when they first arrived there. Instead of having to enter into the promised land, they had to wander around for 40 years until the fearful generation died off, all except the faithful two, Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses had to die before the new generation could enter into the promised land. Now, we don't want to be like that. Like, we don't want to be like the fearful generation. We don't want to end up like them. We want to learn to follow Jesus by faith and not by sight. And if we're going to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, then we need to know what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we see the definition for what faith is. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then in verse 6, the first part of that verse tells us something very important that we need to understand about faith. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is trusting. Trusting beyond what we can see, what we can touch, what we can smell, and even beyond what we can emotionally feel. Faith is trusting beyond all of these things to walk, to live our lives in what God has promised and what we already know God is capable of doing. The more we walk by faith in God, the more we're going to see God show up and show out for His glory, our greater good and the greater good of other people around us. The more we live by faith, the more we're going to realize that nothing is impossible with God. The more we walk by faith and not by sight, the more we realize that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ever ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. Faith is trusting beyond what we can see, what we can touch, what we can smell, or even what we emotionally feel to trust, to trust in what God has promised us and what we already know that God can do. But how do we get to the place where we have the kind of faith that allows us to walk by faith and not by sight? Well, it's simple. You simply take that first step of faith. That first step of faith is to put your trust in God, and that begins when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life so He could die on the cross and pay the penalty that you and I deserve for our sin. And we believe that He's no longer dead. We believe He rose three days after that, appeared to many of His disciples, and then He ascended right back into heaven where right now He sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding and standing up for anyone who is willing to put their faith and trust in God by putting their lives in His hands. So, if we want to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, we must begin our walk of faith by trusting God and putting our lives in His hands. Some of you are here this morning and you've never taken that step of faith. Like you've never put your life in God's hands. You've never said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you're alive right now and you're sitting in heaven interceding for me. And I want to put my life in your hands and live the rest of my life trusting in you. And living my life for your glory and the greater good of others. You've never made that kind of commitment. You're sitting here this morning. I want to invite you in just a minute. Uh, We're going to close up our service. We're going to have a, a song that we're going to sing. will be your time to respond. And if you've never made that commitment, and today you're ready to say, Jesus, listen, I believe in you, but I want to live the rest of my life living for your glory and the greater good of others. I want you to use me. I'm yours. I'm your vessel. I'm giving you my life. If you're ready to make that kind of commitment this morning, then in just a moment after we pray and we begin to sing, you come and you share that with us. I'll be standing here at the front uh, to talk with you and to pray with you. Some of you are here today. You've already uh, made that commitment to trust in the Lord and to follow Jesus. Uh, But if you're like me, you realize that as we follow Jesus, we have this tendency 
to begin to live in fear of the things that we see instead of walking by faith in what we know of God. And so for us this morning, what we need to do, that if we see that tendency in our lives, we need to acknowledge it. We don't need to make excuses for it. Instead, we need to begin taking actions to remove that tendency from our lives so we can follow Jesus more fully, walking by faith and not by sight. The first action that we need to take is that we need to refuse to listen to the negative Nathans in our lives. Shannon and I, every time we have stepped out in faith to adopt a child, we have had negative Nathans start speaking up every single time. Anytime we've taken a step of faith, there has been at least one negative Nathan in our life who's tried to discourage us from following the Lord. So I'm going to encourage you this morning, if you're willing to take that step of faith to follow the Lord, then you've got to refuse to listen to the negative Nathans in your life. You can even take it the next step. Refuse to be negative Nathan. Right? It's super easy for us to get wrapped up in all the negative things that are going on in the world around us instead of just walking by faith in God. So, Refuse to listen to the negative Nathans. Refuse to be a negative Nathan. But we also need to learn to set up reminders in our lives. Things that will remind us how God has shown up in, through, and around our lives for His glory, our greater good, and the greater good of others. I know people who um, will celebrate their spiritual birthday just like they would their physical birthday. And they do that as a reminder annually of how God has brought them out of the darkness into His wonderful light. How God has saved them. I know other people who will journal all the different ways that they see God showing up in, through, and around their lives. And they'll write these things down, and every now and then they'll go back and they'll read through those as encouragement. And they even share these with other people so that they can help strengthen and encourage other people's faith. And so ask yourself these questions this morning. How has God shown up in, through, and around your life? How have you seen God show up and show out for His glory and the greater good of others? How can you remember those things? How can you write them down? How can you celebrate those things? And don't just celebrate them to keep them to yourself. Use them as an opportunity to share what God has done with the other people in your life. This morning, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper as a regular reminder of all the things that God has done for us, primarily of how He died on the cross, how Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. So I'm going to ask the guys who are helping us with the Lord's Supper this morning if they would go ahead and begin to make their way to the front. Um, You guys go ahead and come, and when you get here, get your elements and make your way to your stations. Uh, Cody's going to begin to make his way up here too. He's going to lead us into this time of sharing in the Lord's Supper. I want you to realize this morning that as we share in the Lord's Supper, that we're doing this as a reminder. We're doing this as a regular reminder as a church to remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And inevitably, you're going to leave here today, and many of you will have the opportunity to tell your children about the Lord's Supper and why we do this. Because your kids may be in here today, and they may say, Mama, Daddy, why did you eat that bread, and why did you drink that juice? And really, that's one of the reasons why we do this. We do this so that you will not only remember what Jesus has done for us, We do this so that we can celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But we do this as an opportunity to share with the world around us what Jesus has done for us. Cody's going to come and lead us into this time.